0: Life comes with so many twists and turns that cause us to have to pivot or change paths. It can seem sometimes like so daunting when you know you've approached this kind of fork in the road, but whichever path you choose, I hope that you choose the door and open it with confidence. Greet your new path with a it's showtime mentality and a smile on your face. Welcome to my podcast, One Foot in Front of the Other to Life. I'm your host, Lisette Haber, and today's episode is called Pivot, It's Showtime. In just a bit, I'll share with you a little bit about our guest for today's show, but before we get into that, and our discussion with him, let's break down the two components. First is the skill set set of having showtime mentality, the ability to show up with enthusiasm no matter what, with a smile on your face and in the tone of your voice. Second is knowing how and when to pivot. In my early professional years, I had not yet really kind of learned the meaning of not to wear your feelings on your sleeve. I had certainly not learned about humility and, you know, that or that being prideful is not necessarily deemed as a good thing. Um, I wanted to win, but being coached is part of winning, and that's the difficult part for competitive people. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the drive or the ambition or the ability to be coached, will most definitely hinder you. As I grew into professional leadership roles in the staffing industry and had the ability to interview many people in various different industries, income levels from all different backgrounds, I quickly learned the common denominator between the successful ones with a nice solid work history and the ones who fell on the other side. And it all came down to attitude. I think that the biggest challenge most people have is that they trade what they consider to be security due to fear of getting outside of their comfort zone, right? I mean, getting outside of your comfort zone means you have to leave your favorite blankie behind. You can't take it with you. But that's also how people turn out of the I'm stuck feeling. For example, maybe things aren't going well at your job, or you've been in a rut for a long, long time and not making enough money, or maybe. The market has shifted so hard that it's changing the nature of how you conduct your business and the way you're accustomed to approaching business. Or maybe you had these very big dreams and then life just sort of happened and you were forced into this aha moment and realized you had to pivot, but you didn't know how. I had one of those aha moments when I was in my early 20s living life like a girl gone wild, just a leaf in the wind, and suddenly I found myself with life-altering decisions to make. I became a parent at 24 and got married. Suddenly, everything I did choose or did not choose affected more than just me. And that's exactly what we're gonna talk about with today's guest. Overcoming adversity, how to know when to pivot, and how to face everything that you have to approach with the It's Showtime mentality. Steve Tampas is an originating mortgage consultant located in Santa Clarita, California, who's operated at the top 1% in the nation since 2014, and he's been a licensed mortgage consultant since 2004. He's a husband and a father of five. Steve and I have worked together in a number of different capacities and in the ups and downs of all different types of economies. First, we worked together in the car business back in the 90s. Then we worked together throughout my career in the staffing industry as we had partnered on the employment services side, but also I'm a licensed realtor in the state of California and Arizona, and I have entrusted my clients, friends, and family who needed a lender to work with to work with him. So we have a history of collaborating together, and I've seen him grow through his career and achieve really big dreams and exceed goals. Steve is a leader in the community who has shown time and time again through life's ups and downs his ability to pivot, and he arrives with confidence that exudes Showtime mentality. In his early days, he struggled a little bit with humility, and like most of us do, and then through the receipt of coaching from many great mentors in his life, he's achieved far more than most people that I know personally in my life today. So I'm really proud. He's a leader who has shown his ability to pivot after becoming a parent in his early twenties when life and pipe dreams were just a blurred line or so somewhat of thought. Again, I'm your host, Lisette Haber, and we're about to learn how our guest put one foot in front of the other to show his parents how their American dream could become his reality. And their American dream did become his pre- his reality. So I'm very proud to present. His story on my podcast today. Pivot, it's showtime. And so we officially welcome Steve Tempest to the show. Welcome to the show. We're the show where we share, as you know, stories of influential people who've worked really hard to overcome all sorts of life adversities through sheer willpower. And Steve, you are just a very positive role model for so many people and a mentor as well. But let's take a deep dive back. Share with me how you got here.
1: Well, first, I want to say thank you for inviting me. Um, and I got to witness you grow up and you've accomplished um, many things. The the great thing that I've seen and witnessed out of you is what you put your mind toward. And no matter what was going on through your life, whether it was uh, just to, to gather more education, you moved forward. And I was uh, I, I thought it was pretty correct pretty great to see um i've complimented that on many occasions you even went back i remember when you went back to toastmasters because you wanted to speak more so um kudos to you and and making things happen for yourself and your family and um now you guys live nice and lovely out there in scottsdale arizona and not having to deal with all the stuff here in california but thank you for having me um start start off with me so um My family and my family originated back in uh, from the Philippines. We're from um, a little small town called Lapu-Lapu city in Cebu in the Philippines. We, we came over. I, I joke all the time is, you know, I'm a Filipino American because in my family line, I was the first to be born here in the United States. I was made in the Philippines and I was born here. So my mother Mm -hmm. father here in 1974 in may or June of 1974, um, I mean, imagine this, you talk about ambitious. My mother, um, she's a nurse, she was a registered nurse. My dad was an engineer. And you know, in the, in the in the Philippines growing up or them growing up there, there's not a lot of opportunity. There's no mid-level, you know? So you either are poor or you're rich. And that's kind of the only way you're there. And my mother came with a dream. Um, you know, she left a family of almost 14 family members and her sibling side my dad had a brother and mom and dad, and they left in 74 with a thousand dollars in their pocket and said, we're coming to the United States. Um, That that's pretty courageous. You know, my older brother were, were a lot, were there. Um, I was born here. Didn't know anyone. They didn't know anyone. Um, They didn't have a real plan except they thought they could get a nursing job. And they thought they can get a, my dad to get an engineering job. Uh, And they came here with a thousand dollars to their name, didn't know anyone. So they came here, landed in the Mecca of all Filipinos (laughs) in LA and Eagle Rock. And and we live there. And it was, um, I'm sure it was, it was tough for them. You know, um, when they, when, when they shared stories like this to us, obviously it was a lot different. We, you know, we, we more hear things coming now from my aunt and uncles about when my parents made that journey. And it was a very daring thing to the point where my mom said to my dad, Hey, you can go with us or you can stay here, but I'm going to give our kids an opportunity. So every
0: American dream, right?
1: I, I think it's the American dream for everyone that doesn't, that isn't from here. And I don't think people that are, you know, and not to discredit, you know, um, Americans here, but I don't think they realize what it's like to live in a different country. And, and where, where, my, and I don't have, I don't, I don't realize, I mean, I, I've gotten opportunities to live in another country, but it is sad when you see how much, we all value a dollar, but they truly value a dollar there. And and that's why coming here, when you're outside coming in, it is the American dream. I think, I mean, we're in a weird state now, but we forget how incredible an opportunity we have here as Americans. And and I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm, I'm, I'm big on freedom. So, um, just to go back. So my, my parents had met, um, some people that moved them out to Mission Viejo, so we were in Mission Viejo till 1977. 1977, we 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 came out here to um, Santa Cruz, California. So I've been in Santa Cruz since 1977. So um, so you know, we were we were taught to be very ambitious. You know, um, my dad was a lot more mild than my mother was. My mother was a big was was big on that. She 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 pushed us to work hard and and dream big. You know, I, when I go back and I think about you always think about what led you here, and I get—I've um, been, you know, very fortunate and blessed to have many people in my life. But I've been asked to talk in front of whether it's athletes or people trying to um, work in this space. And when and there was a window of time, I was in the car business, and in that space, you know, and they talk about you know ambition. I think part of everything you do, you have to have ambition. You you have to be ambitious toward what you want to go toward you have to have goals and, and depending on how big your goal dreams are is, is is how much you can achieve. So, you know, my my mother always told me, I and, and that's from playing I mean, as a kid I did everything. We played sports. Um I mean I played sports. I you know I I, I raced bikes. When I when I raced bikes I was uh I was nationally ranked. Everything I've done um I've always had this crazy ambition of wanting to be great at it and just uh and i always just it, inside me it, it i had this little thing that would always tell me like hey man like you can you can achieve that you got to really just believe in it and that was instilled that was instilled by my mother and, and uh you know my dad was one of the guys that would be like hey you know just you know go do your best you know i i i hated to lose um from from a very young age i i I would get teased by my siblings and my dad because um, when we would, when I would race bikes or um, I played a lot of basketball when I was a kid. And if if I lost, like I would, I would cry yelling at people. And uh, I used to have this crazy vein on the side of my neck. And when I would yell, the vein would just pop out and my dad would be like, see, you're crazy, man. Look at your, your neck. And I'd have this big old, because I just, it was, it was very, and and, and it it wasn't to, I was just very competitive. I, I I didn't like to lose. I'm sure we we always hear that, you know, we always hear those things, but like it, yeah, I mean, it really, it really burns inside me to lose. So, um, you know, I have a very competitive nature to myself. Um, I'm very ambitious, and I dreamed really big. Um, and and throughout my whole life, I, I did that. What was
0: your basketball? I know you played basketball in high school, but um, I mean, were you training for a long time or what was that world like
1: for you? Um, well, it's kind of funny, but, you know, I, my, my whole family, like even my, my, from my dad and all, he would always tell us about all, and my grandpa and grandma would always tell us about all my uncles in the Philippines and how, you know, I had a couple of uncles that um, my uncle Joe, Jojo, and, and John, John. Um, Joel and John John are now gone, but they would tell me how back home that they were like the most feared brothers. And, you know, we had it in our like little lineage that we were really good basketball players. So as a kid, you know, you, you play basketball, but I was a small kid. So in ninth grade, I was four foot 11. You know what I mean? Gosh, that's just
0: about how tall I am now, Steve.
1: (laughs) But I'm... (laughs) Basketball, you know, you're four foot 11. I'm probably 80 pounds. I'm incredibly like I I remember. um, I mean, we played in this all star game in eighth grade and all the high school coaches came out and I remember they they came because I had a friend of mine that we played a lot since we were like in fifth grade. My good buddy, Josh, Um, and we the the high school coaches came out and they're like wondering what high schools we were going to go to. And when they found out we were both going to Saugus High School, they were like, man, you know, you guys are going to be like the backcourt of the future. And, you know, as, a, as an eighth grader, you know, in eighth grade back then, you didn't have all the circuits and all this other stuff now. But I was, we were both small, skinny, small, but we were very competitive. Um, and, you know, so all the local guys were saying, oh, when, when you know, when these two guards come to Saugus, they're going to kind of make an impact. And, um, you know, I was very small. What ended up happening though, in like eighth grade, I got into tennis. So I got crazy into tennis. So I'm, we, 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 I play my freshman year in high school basketball. I play freshman. Like I said, I'm only four foot 11. I think when I, when season was over, I ended up being like five two and we had an incredible, we had an incredible run. We, we won league, we were 21. And like, I think we lost two games that year, maybe three games max. Um, and it was you know led by myself, my my good buddy Josh, who later we were called Fire and Ice, and everyone knew about us as the time we were seniors. But, um, you know, he was iced, he was cold as ice, and I was fiery, I was fiery as hell. And I, remember, <laughs> I so I get into tennis, uh, by a buddy of mine, his name was Pedro. And we start playing, I start picking it up, I get you start getting pretty good at it, you know. I'm telling my parents, like, yeah, you know, and then. One of my uncles used to play tennis. He's like, Hey, you know, Steven, you should watch this guy, Andre Agassi. So I start watching Andre Agassi. I'm like, Oh my God, I want to be this guy. I want to play tennis. And so I, I start literally playing tennis and practicing tennis like every single day. And I remember I tell my mom, like, mom, I think I can, I think I can be a pro tennis player. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, you know, those guys train their whole life. I'm like, Oh, well, my friend Pajam told me about this school. It's called the Nick Boletari Tennis Academy. And it was like crazy expensive. It was like 20,000 or $25,000 a year to go to, but you literally just, it's kind of like all the academies nowadays where you play sports, but you you literally play tennis your whole time. So I'm like, Mom, but if I go there, I'll get trained. This guy trains Andre Agassi. He's like the number one tennis player in the country. I'm like, I really think I can make it. Like this is, this is something I think I can make it. So my mom being my mom saying, I think you can Steven. You know, my dad's saying, you're crazy. I can't believe you want to do this. So going into my sophomore year, I was going to go to the Nick Bulletary. Like I had filled out all my information. They had accepted me to go in. My mom said it was cool. She would pay for it. Um, but this is what happens. So my buddy says, hey, before you do all that, why don't you start playing in to- local tennis tournaments here? So that you have to join something called the USTA. Um, and that's how you get nationally ranked. And mm-hmm. the Voluntary Academy was saying that you know what you know what national ranking are you? And I had no idea because tennis was no one in my family played tennis like to that kind of level. So this is my I go into the academy. I go they they place me in a tournament in Northridge, and I remember I'm going to this tournament, and I'm feeling pretty good. I'm playing a lot of tennis right now. I'm getting lessons. I'm training. Um, my my parents buy me like this crazy new tennis racket. I remember it was called the Yamaha secret. It was awesome. <laughs> I had the full Agassiz outfit. I mean, I was, I was feeling it. So I go in this this tournament. I look at where I have to play. I'm like, okay, I played this kid. The kid's name was Evan. And he was like super, I mean, I was tiny. This kid was tiny. He might've been like 4'10", maybe 50 pounds. I mean, he was a tiny guy. So we start warming up. And um, I've had pretty good success in every sport I've played. We're warm up and I'm playing this we're warming up with this guy and I'm smacking the ball and I'm hitting it good and, and the guy just like patty cakes it back to me he's like ah oh, boom and I run back I nail it and we're just rallying just getting warmed up I'm nailing the ball I'm like and he's just like boom so then we practice serving and as we practice serving he would just like throw the ball up and like just dink like dink the ball in like I, I mean like you know I'm sitting here trying to serve at 100 miles per hour this guy's like maybe 30 miles per hour. So I I remember they're like, you guys ready, ready, ready. All right, so I walked back to my dad, I go, dad, I'm gonna smoke this dude. I told <laughs> my dad says to me, he's like, don't be so confident Steven. And I'm like, no, dad, I'm telling you, I'm gonna smoke this dude. That dude, and I thought I played pretty good, but it was like playing against a wall. This is where you learn consistency. Mm-hmm. Incredibly consistent. He literally, every ball I hit no matter how great of a ball or how hard it was he would just hit it back to me nice and soft so I kept making errors I lost 6-0 6-0 and that was the end of my tennis career (laughs) with everything I hated it I was so mad and I'm like there's no you know f this sport nope I'm going back to basketball like it's so much better playing basketball (laughs) it went to literally my coaches came and talked to my mom like you can't let this kid go. Like you don't understand, we 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 have a future going forward in, in the high school. Um, brings me back to, you know, basketball. So ba- basketball was a big imprint in my life. You know, I I I think sports in general. Um, now having, uh, you know, almost lived fifty years, I think sports in general is is it, it, it gives you great. This, it gives you a lot of things, and in, in my children, I notice it, and, and in other children that I've been able to coach, mentor, whatever the case may be, um, I've noticed that, you know, when you have some kind of disciplines and, and you've gone through a lot of disappointment, I, and I think as an athlete, um, and I used to, you know, think to myself all the time as I'm, I'm an athlete, I'm, I'm this athlete, you, you never reach where you think you can go. It's very hard to get to a point where you're like, um, I'm there, and I and I and I kind of see this with work, business, and success, right? Um, right. You you have this idea, and when you're young, um, not to transition too much into, uh, you know, the the workforce world. When you're young and you're impressionable, you see success as things that you maybe someone might have acquired or maybe, you know, accolades, they may have won. Um, but as far as like, like success, you know, you're constantly building on that. You're constantly trying to get there at least in, 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 in in my view there is, but I, 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 know I'm, I'm sure, um, some, a lot of agents, agents I coach and, and maybe even people in my business that I mentor, um, they probably see some of the, the things that, that we've been able to, to do and acquire as a group, my team and I, um, we've been able to do number wise, uh, transaction wise, some of the relationships, the incredible relationships that we have with some of the agents we work with and, you know, getting a chance to see them grow. I, I think one would say it's, it's, it's a pretty successful business yeah, I'm very proud of what we've done and obviously very blessed to, to been able to do some of the numbers that we've done, but you're constantly growing. And I think as an athlete, as a, that's what you learn from, because there's a lot of disappointment in athletics, you know?
0: Right. And what was your training like as a basketball player?
1: So after my little stint, I, I did, um, I did two years of, of junior college basketball and it, you know, I, I've had this little edge on me, you know, cause obviously, you know, I'm, at my highest I'm five foot 11 I'm a um five foot 11 Filipino basketball player trying to you know thinking that I can play high level college basketball and it wasn't really the case for me so I shifted my mentality to think like okay I'm gonna go try to play overseas so you know I I, I did two years of juco ball at College of the Canyons um and even coming out of there my my, my coaches always tell me yeah if you don't make it here you can always go back and play in the Philippines and um, it's crazy cause I didn't know how big playing in the Philippines was. It, it's a, it's a, it's huge out there. Um, so as, as a, as a player here, people started with knowing who I was as a Filipino playing basketball. So I started playing in all these different events, um, Filipino events, like all Filipino, which I never seen cause in Santa Cruz, I, I joke that back then in the late nineties in the Santa Cruz Valley, I think there was maybe only, maybe 10 Filipino families, people started watching me from the Philippines and started wanting me to do that venture. So what I would do is after I, 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 I was an all-state player uh, my sophomore year in college out here, um, I didn't go to school a lot, so I wasn't great. My, my schooling my education wasn't great. So I remember my coaches told me, like, hey, there's a couple of places that want you to go play college basketball for them. Um, and this is where I learned about liability. And they said, Steve, but I, I I, can't give, I can't give my, knowing how you are as a student. I can't. <laughs> give, yeah, no, it was a, listen, it, it was hurtful because I, it, they could never say that about me as a player because I worked so, I worked really hard like as a player, mm-hmm. but, but as a student, you know, they would always tell me if you put your same focus into, and there was guys that I wouldn't say they weren't as good as me, but they weren't as good as I, they weren't as good as me, but they were good students and they got to play places. Um, And I, and I, and I, you know, going back now, I I know that was incredibly important, but it wasn't important. You know, it wasn't important to me then.
0: What did you think kind of happened to you in that space? Did you, were you just such a dreamer that you didn't just kind of put the focus on the school?
1: I just never, I mean, I, I think it really was that I, I, you know, what's weird is I, I always figured I'd find that road, but mm-hmm. never like school was never, I don't know, man, I it, it <laughs> it out how school was never. And my, my parents would always tell me, you know, Stephen, go to school. You got to go to school. You got to finish school. And um, so after my sophomore year, uh, I, I had just, you know, I was going to go play at the University of Maine is w- what I was going to go do. And um, I went over there everything was done. I had a friend that was playing there. Um, it was an, it was a NAIA school. And then I, they, uh, when they, they, they had me, they said, we need you to, um, go to two classes over the summertime. And when I went to the two classes over the summertime, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to play basketball. I don't want to play basketball like that no more. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, go to school. So, I was playing in some of these events in the, with a bunch of Filipino guys. And so they, they had asked me and and they had asked me, Hey, would you consider going to go play? And I, and obviously I'm thinking like, well, what, what does that all mean? And, you know, in, 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 in life, you're going to meet a lot of people. And just like anything else in business, as far as clients and relationship, but in life, you meet a lot of good people and there's people that can, you know, raise your spirits lift your spirits you know um you call them mentors call them coaches and i i've been so incredibly blessed to have so many of those in my life you know my my high school coach i had the good guy the bad guy my one high school coach I, i i he he created something in me that always told me that he never thought i could achieve you know he was always worried about where i would go you know but then i had the other coach who always inspired me to believe, always told me how great I can become. Only thing that's stopping you is you. It's, it's a lot of this is here, you know. Yeah. And going into playing, you know, I I did a, a stint. So I got offered to go play in the Philippine national team. They found a way for me to play on the Philippine national team. I got to play in something called the Southeast Asian Games in Singapore and Malaysia. Um, from there, I did a small stint um, playing for a pro team called Red Bull it's funny because they wanted me to go to college there. And I said, I didn't come out here to play college basketball, man. I came out here to play pro basketball. I I think I was at the time 18 or 19 years old. Um, They said you had to be 23 years old to play in the league. And I'm like, no, I didn't come out here. You guys told me that I could play. So they wanted to put me into a different league, a pro league. And I remember the team I played for, um, everyone knows it now, but back then no one knew it It was called Red Bull. And, uh, you know, I I got into – what what i what and i've i've coached a lot of kids i got kids playing in the nba now um i've coached very high level kids playing on the nike and the adidas circuit so i've been blessed to be around some of the top players in the country um but i could share with them it's very easy to play the blame game and the philippines i had all the reasons in the world you know the it was the craziest thing because I can only imagine bringing a kid from California saying he could do whatever, whatever. And I thought I was going to be a pretty good sized player over there. I was small. Like we had guys that were six, seven, six, eight. And I, I used to joke around when we played in, in Asia, I played, I was in Malaysia and I was hanging out with, a, with team China. Team It's crazy because team China is what I would think team USA would be if they were to go play in any of these tournaments, but was scared of team China, China had mm-hmm. seven, eight, 7 footers. And that's huge in Asia. A 7 foot guy in Asia is incredibly big. We our biggest guy was 6-7. We had a guy 6-9 that was coming in Marlo Aquino. But 6-7 was a big guy. And I, I I remember I was with a gentleman by the name of Majian and he was the very first uh Asian player to get drafted into the NBA and he got drafted by the LA Clippers just got finished playing at University of Utah and he was one of the guys that spoke good english too so him and i him and i hung out a lot in malaysia and singapore and he would tease me like hey how do you speak good english and i'd be like hey man what the hell you guys eat over there cuz i never seen no chinese dude as big as you guys like you so big and it's crazy they're not just tall they're big like they're big guys they're muscular they're big they just they just can't move like players in the United States, but I had a nice little stint there, um, but I played the blame game. I played a lot of blame games when we got back to Manila and I played, um, you know, I've always been very confident. I've been, a, have always been very confident in what I can do ability wise. Um, I'm I'm, I'm a very proud person, especially when it comes, when it came to athletics. Uh, And I thought I would have these incredible practices and everyone was cool. And I'm thinking like, it's just like my tennis story. My dad, I told my dad, dad, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do some crazy numbers, dad. (laughs) Uh, And my dad would tell me like, Steven, just, you know. So did you really
0: feel like you kind of lacked some humility for a while there?
1: It, it, it taught me lesson, you know, it taught me, um, you know, because I mean, you know, when, when you get older, you, you can, you can, really go back and think like I could have done that a lot better. You know, I I was 19 years old maybe and I was very brash coming from the United States and any any event because they used to send players to the United States. Any event that I had ever participated in it was it it was it was always one-sided. And yeah. so when I got there, I thought it would be a lot of that. And all the coaches and everyone so when I left to go there it, in 1995, um, that was, like, a big thing out here in, in L.A. Yeah. Because they hadn't sent any players from the United States to go play on the Philippine team. They hadn't done, like, what we what are now called, like, Phil Ams. It, it wasn't a big thing there. And when you're in the Philippines, when you're a different country, I don't speak the language, You don't you don't, you don't realize how isolated you are. You know, you realize how important money is. Um, and they, they took care of me, man. Like they, they, if I would have been patient, you know, my dad would always tell me, be patient, take your time, you know, be humble, Steven, like, you know, um, but I didn't know that I was, I'm from, I'm from the USA, you know, I've played against some of the best players in the, in the, in the country, in the United States. And, and now here they're, they're telling me, you know, I'm like, man, so you know, yeah, I did. I learned, I learned my lesson and I learned to play the blame game. Like, Hey, it's because I wasn't from there. Those guys wouldn't pass me the ball. So I couldn't really get off, like whatever the case may be. Um, and I had to kind of sink my head and come back home, you know? And, uh, you know, so that was, so I, I literally stopped playing basketball. Like I never played again. You know, I met my, at the time during that little window of time, when I came home, I, I met my wife, uh, my wife and I, now, uh married, um, gosh, it's going on 25 years now. Um, so we're, you know, 23 years, but we're, um, so we start getting serious. Um, I'm realizing that this is where, you know, we talk about moments that things pivot. Yeah. Don't know what I want to do. Never been a student. My mom's telling me to go back to school. All my friends are doing really well. my, my good buddy josh didn't co-play college basketball and he could have many places and he becomes a cpa and um you know my my other good buddy graduates from ucla um he's one of the guys that found like help create Pix pixar <laughs> so i have all these friends that uh were, he was part of the managing staff but and here i am like i you know hey i went and i mean, I i got paid to play basketball i mean i guess that's cool and i got to have some crazy experiences in in asia but playing on a national team but i get back to the united states i'm like what do i do now and my wife's um family owns a shop a machine shop so you know my wife and i are getting serious and um you know we're dating at the time and they tell me won't you come work here <laughs> another moment so i go work there it's a machine shop and and uh you know i'm i'm basically just making parts for an aircraft and I've never been a guy that likes to get dirty. You know, I'm in this metal shop. I'm sticking these metal pieces in. You 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 put these and you put these components into the machine. You close the machine up. You push the button you stand there until it's all done. You take it out. And meanwhile, there's crap going all over the place. But uh, and I
0: just got to say, Steve, I have to add in there. But, you know, I mean, I've been staffing and recruiting for 15 years and I would have never, I've never heard this story before, but I would definitely not peg you for a machine shop type of guy.
1: And it's crazy because I've never had any real jobs. And most of the jobs, as you can kind of tell, I talk a lot, most of the jobs I got in trouble because I talked a lot and I I would get in trouble. So, I mean, I've had, I've done everything from Magic Mountain to Man theaters Um, that used to be out here really popular all the high school got in trouble for that I actually got let go because I talked too much Um, Mm. I worked at Kmart I love that that was probably my favorite job because I got paid every Friday (laughs) or every Thursday and we used to be able to cash our checks at Kmart and you know there's a group of us all from Saugus High School we all got in trouble so we all got fired from there worked at Mr. Video and
0: and oh I remember Mr. Video
1: Mr. Video so again in in life you meet people you know Mm -hmm. and so and you just kind of you know i i've 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 never discredited a relationship when you meet someone i think i've i've been i have great friends um, i have great networks because i've always treated people really well i've been taught that from you know from my family you know treat people how you always want to be treated and i've The fact of how I am when I play sports, and again, I've always pictured myself as this athlete, right? This uh, this athlete trying to be a world class athlete, like um, you know. But always treat people well, coaches, everything else. You can play the blame game, but you always treat people well because you never know how those those circles will cross again.
0: So, would you say then your first professional career was actually like stepping into the car business?
1: In my this machine shop, and I'm you know I'm literally like and, and I just knew it wasn't me. And I, I I knew it wasn't me. We, we, and and there was a big aha moment. I'm sitting there and I've always been in, I've always been interested in real estate. I've always loved real estate. I've always had these great, I remember having these crazy ass goals of, you know, wanting this, wanting these really nice cars and, this big house. There's this big house that my sister and my brother-in-law used to always drive by in Granada Hills. I remember like my mom would be like, how are you going to get there? Like, I, and I'm just like, I don't know mom, but I, I know like I'm, I'm one thing away. I'm one thing away. But, uh, and I, um, I've been sitting at lunch and I'm looking at the real estate book and some of the guys came in back from getting food and I'm sitting there and one of the guys, you know, he's an older gentleman says to me, I, I don't know why you're looking at that book you're never going to own a home unless, unless Papa, Papa Bucks buys you a home. And that was obviously mm-hmm. my father-in-law and right there, I, I just, I just said, man, this ain't me. Like the, the, the conversation in that, in that lunch room, um, I knew like, I, that's not me. So what I did is, is through friendships, like one of my good buddies I met while I was working at Mr. Video. Um, was a gentleman by the name of Barry Eget And I had played oh, a couple of men's league teams with Barry, another good friend of mine, uh, Bobby Lemko, um, another buddy of mine, Tom Kelly, who's a head coach at Hart High School. But through this, we, we would play in these men's leagues. They would ask me, I was the young kid that they'd asked to come in. And we played these incredible games. And these guys were older. I didn't know what these guys even did. Um, he always had a big smile on his face. So uh, I I was at the athlete, Santa Cruz Athletic Club. Didn't know what I was gonna do. Just found out that I'm gonna be having a baby, and um, needed to find a real job.
0: And so you're about how old now?
1: I'm probably 21, 22. Wow. And early, for, uh, early parenthood. Yeah, I I, uh, I ran into Bobby Lemko, and I I tell him what's going. On. He's like, "Hey, kid, how are you?" Know he used to play, and then we start rapping out, and he says, "Dude, go talk to Barry." And I'm like thinking like selling cars, like, like what, what, what kind of money those guys make? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's what I want to do. I'm never sold anything. And he's like, go talk to Barry. He just got promoted as a manager. So I go and So I'm looking now through the Santa, I'm literally going through Santa Cruz paper, like every day during my job at the little machine shop. And I see it says there magic Ford is hiring and, you know, you can get signed on as a salesman and you're getting a guarantee of $2,000 a month. So I'm like, Oh shit, that's pretty freaking good. I think at the time I'm making like maybe $1,200 a month, you know, like I'm making like $300 every pay period, which is a week. Well, and and just
0: to date ourselves a little bit. So when you say you are going through the paper, because you know, that's not how it's done anymore, you know, you're not going on to indeed.com and searching for a job. You're going through the want ads and the now hiring. And mm-hmm. you're circling the ones and you see that there's a sign on bonus for the Ford that, dealership.
1: That was your guaranteed income. So I'm thinking like $2,000 a month, man, if I got that every month like that, I'm going to be going <laughs> go to the app. So I go in to meet Barry. Barry's like, Oh yeah. He's like, let me, let me have you fill out an application. So I go fill out the application. Um, and so I go out and fill out the application. And I get a, I get an interview with a gentleman who at the time was a general manager. His name was Rick Block. So he's remember, right? do, do good, just, just answer all the questions, you're fine, I'll get you in the class. But where you go from there, you're, you're, but I'll get you in. Once I go, and when Barry tells me, like, I'll get you in, it's not a problem. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, oh, yeah. So I'm very impressionable. And I'm like, I'm always thinking best thing going to happen was I'm going to get hired, I'm going to get $2,000 a month guarantee. So I go apply for a, an apartment in Valencia called the Puerto fin- I think they're called the Portofino. Finos, Porto Finos. $1,400 a month so i'm like oh i'm going to be making 2000 dollars a month 14 bucks a month that's no problem so i go in and i'm interviewing with um rick block and you know they're asking they're going through the application now keep in mind my dad's an engineer he was making about 50000 a dollars a year my mom's a nurse she's making roughly almost 100000 dollars a year so and she's working two jobs so i'm thinking like those are professions right like those are professions so i'm thinking Okay, $2,000 a month, that's pretty good money. You know, I'm almost like making as much as an engineer. And I don't know what these guys are making. I have no idea how much money these guys are making or how little or how much. I go in the application. I do the application. I put down, I still remember this. I put down and it says desired income, $2,000 a month. And I'm like, (laughs) so when I'm interviewing um, uh, Rick, you know, he's like, hey, um, did you recently apply for an apartment place? And I said, I'm like, yeah. He's like, how much was it? And I'm like, oh, it's like $1,400 a month. He's all, is this what you put for your income? $2,000 a month. And I'm like, like smiling. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and he and go, looks at Barry. He's all, Barry, this is your guy. <laughs> Barry. Uh, no buddy.
0: pressure, Barry.
1: <laughs> Barry's like, and I'm looking at Barry and I'm like, looking at Rick. I'm like, did I, did I put too much? And they're like, and Rick goes, Barry, this is your guy. And Barry's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, and Barry, and so I said, should I put more? Like, sh- I'm all Barry, should I put like $4,000 a month? And then Rick looked at me and I said, Barry, you make more than $4,000 a month? And he just goes, and Rick goes, Steve, if you made $4,000 a month, I would fire your fucking ass. <laughs> and so
0: because I, back then, all the, you know, the top sales guys, sales guys are all making six figures.
1: They, well, they would, the top sales guys would be making six figures, but the average guy there was making like $6,000 a month. So, but I, again, I didn't know. I had no ideas. My first real job. And I, I remember looking at Barry and I'm like, like. Barry, you make more than, like, $4,000 a month. And we get over that hurdle, and, you know, they kind of give me the, like, they're, like, joking, like, like I'm so innocent, right? This innocent. So he runs me through the test. He's like, okay, we just got bought out, so we're owned by this company called AutoNation. You got to go to their class. This $2,000 a month guarantee is just to the class, but after you come out of the class, so you got to take this test, and you're in. I take this test, and, like, I – I, I had this weird thing about taking tests and it was a long test. So partway through the test, I'm just going through the question. I'm answering, answering, answering. And when they call me that in again and Barry sits me down and goes, Steven. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you use drugs every day? recreation? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? I'm like, he's talking about, I'm an athlete. Like, what are you, I don't even drink. Like, what are you talking about? So you put down here, you use recreational drugs every day. (laughs) Why would you put this on your test? And I'm like, where? And so he's all, all right, dude. He's all, I don't know what you did on this test, but I'm going to have you retake the test. And when you take this test, answer the right question. That's all I need you to do. He's like, okay. I had to take the test over to pass the test. And then I finally got into the class. But um, that was my entry. So... Going back, I remember going back home and telling my, my family, like, oh, my God, I'm going to go be – now telling my parents, you know, um, old school Filipinos, I'm going to go be a car salesman. And they're like, great, you're going to go sell cars. Like, what 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 does what those people make? So, I, right. no I was excited. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what got me into the car business.
0: And you did great, right? I mean, and then eventually you went to one of the number one dealerships. And – I mean, I think it was just like you said, you were fire in basketball, right? But then you got to the car business, and you were fire there. What do you attribute that to?
1: Well, I will tell you, for about six or seven months, um, by that window of time, um, you know, Barry had helped me a lot. Like, you know, he had a he had a huge following. He was like the number one sales guy in the country. And so a lot of guys that came in, he would he would help me out and, and, and kind of help me with deals. So, I, so my numbers started getting really good. We all make this transition and all decide to go to Galpin Ford. Now, when we go to Galpin, um, my manager, Barry, who now has to go back on the line because Galpin wouldn't hire managers coming from the outside. So they basically said, hey, prove yourself and come here. Right. So um, again, like I said, you, you 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 meet some incredible people, and and um, Barry has definitely been one of those people in my life that has you know really changed my life. Two managers, um, and I, I I felt they were incredibly hard on me to get started. Um, I was probably a new kid and out of Magic, and and you know so that I, I was like the enemy of Magic Ford, and we go to Galpin. Galpin's incredibly big. It was an incredibly big store. I went into I went into a different team that really n- no one I knew at all. I was, you know, I was. I, gosh, that was 1997. So what does that put me at? 23 years old. Um, I'm 23 years old. And I went from a small dealership that had 20 to 25 salespeople to now we go to Galpin that has six dealerships, like 120 salespeople way different personalities and it's just something that I had no idea what I was walking into and I'll be honest like for that first two three months I you know I I I hated it man I, I I thought it was it was so damn big I couldn't find my footing um did
0: you feel intimidated
1: I was intimidated I was frustrated I felt like no one liked me there um and I, I remember, I, I remember, I remember. I was I was leaving the dealership. I had this like stigma with me that this ain't the place for me. I gotta figure out something else. I I gotta figure out. So I'm I'm walking home, feeling de- I'm walking to my car, feeling defeated. It's late at night, and I'm and I run into Barry, and Barry looks at me. He's like, "Hey, what's going on?" And I I just I'm like, "Man, this ain't for me, man. You know, it was really cool at magic, but this this is a whole different thing. Like, this ain't this ain't for me, Barry." And it's 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 kind of like that speech in that movie Rudy Rudiger where the the old janitor comes out and says, you know, you're five foot nothing, you're a hundred nothing. And Barry just says to me, he's like, he's like, Steven, he's all like, this is this, like, this is real life, man. Like you gotta, you're so, you're so busy feeling sorry for yourself. You gotta, you know, he gave me the pep talk of all pep talks. And he said to me, he's like, I want you to do me one favor before you give up before you turning before you say I'm leaving and you quit I want you to do me one favor he's all this this next 30 days he's all give it one more month this would have been my third month he says give it one more month but give me everything I want you to be enthusiastic I want you to be you know I want you to greet everyone with like 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 them better than you've ever greeted anyone in you're in your I that you've ever um came across of he's all mm-hmm. everyone incredibly well he's like do everything be incredibly friendly with everyone just smile and say good no matter how crappy your day's going i just give me that and i want you to see how much if you change your attitude and how you looked at this job he's like i'm telling you right now it will change your world but you gotta do it you gotta look inside yourself like you got you got your your daughter's about to be born like you you gotta figure this shit out right now like you 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 have to do it man he's all i, I I understand if this doesn't fit you, but if you give me that 30 days and you do exactly what I'm telling you and it doesn't change, if you leave, I'll say, hey, you know what? You gave, you gave it a shot, but I vouched for you. I, I stuck my neck out there and I vouched for you. I said, this kid's going to do great things here. And I'm telling you, he's going to do great things here. That's what brought – now, you didn't come on our team because they all went to – all the guys from Magic went to Terry Miller's team, and everyone loves Terry. And I kept thinking, like, man, if they would have put me on Terry's team, I would have been great. You know, a different environment way different environment over there.
0: So would you say you were kind of doing the um being yep. your own worst enemy again, right?
1: Blame game. Blame blame. Blame game. Yeah. Yeah. But that that talk, I said, all right, Bear, you know, for you, I'll do it. And uh, you know, obviously my back was up against the wall. I was probably selling, I don't know, maybe that first two two months there, I might have sold four or five cars a month. Oh. I tell you I came in, he's all you come in, bright eyed, bushy tailed. Great attitude, you know, f- phenomenal attitude. And you work your tail off. You work, you work as hard as you can for that first year, Stephen. You'll build a book of business like you've never, you never believe. And he's like, look at me. I'm I'm doing it right now. I'm restarting from the beginning. He's like, Me, me, I'm starting from the beginning again. He's like, You can do this. And I remember that, that 30 days I did it. And I went from Whatever, three, four cars. The first two months, I sold eighteen cars. That next month, um next thing you know, the management managers love me. They they nickname me Tampacito and They uh, it, it it changed.
0: So you and- got to a point where I mean, you were busy all the time. I remember you were running like crazy because you know Steve Tampas in the showroom. Steve Tampas in the showroom. You have a guest who's arrived. Um, you got up to a point where you were selling up to how many cars at times a month?
1: Um, Again, I, I, I really had great mentors in my window. Like I, you know, really buying into what Don Rode preached to me. I, I, I use it till today. Um, Buying into what Barry had explained to me and listening to what um, he had, he had, you know, the advice he had offered me. Al Joseph was a, he kind of reminded me of my old high school coach, you know. Kind of probably didn't think I would do well or, or pan out well, and and wanting to prove him wrong, um, like my old high school coach. Um, and you know, I I and then I got two other managers, Shimon Brzezinski, and um, I got another manager, um, Noah Noah Bruce. Who it was funny. Noah was one of he was a huge he was incredibly instrumental to me. I had a month I sold forty three cars um, in one month. And I remember he kept challenging me and I, and I, and I think I, I I've been so lucky to have those kinds of people in my life that have challenged me and to show me the bigger picture. Um, but my last two years there, I was number one in sales, new car, new car for new car salesman of the year. Um, I was averaging, uh, about 23 and a half, 24 cars a month. Um, and never consistently. consistently yeah. Um, and, uh, everything was, you know, by, by, by referral only, you know? So, um, I think, well, you
0: know, you, you take to add to that, Steve, you, you, I mean, I love that you give credit to all these mentors, right. But a big part of that mentorship is on the receiving side. And the mere fact that you had all this experience through all the athletics over the years, like you learn, like even Kobe Bryant needed a coach, right. And it doesn't matter what you're doing in life. You know, you gotta have that reach up mentality and you know there are people that prefer to stay with people who are a little bit more down right. That like, oh, I'll hang out with the ones all. And you know those guys, right? I'll hang out with the guys that are averaging eight to ten cars a month because you know what? They make me feel good about myself. But you challenge yourself, and you're and you were playing with the big boys. You you did it in basketball. You did it in the car business, and then you know eventually transitioning in, into the mortgage industry. But you know you took yourself outside of your comfort zone because you took that feedback and you took the coaching, and that's what helped you got to where you. Where you are
1: today? Yeah, I, I, I've uh, I'm coachable. You can put it. Yeah. I mean, there's things like, like I said, there's there's so many things um, that with success, right? And and even back then, you know, I always thought like, man, if I'm making six figures um, in the car business, I'm doing so good. I'm doing so good. I'm doing better than all my other peers. I was 24, 25, 26 years old. I was only there, you know. I I I transitioned there. I was there for just just a few years. I was there for um, I just got my five year pin, so I was there from 1997 to 2003, going into 2004. In 2003, I ended up selling a car, two cars, to someone that was in the mortgage business, and they had told me like, "Hey," um, and I we had a big setup of how this all worked in the car business because of they in the general manager's office they had a big board, and on the big board it showed where you ranked um, where you ranked as a salesperson. Um, So what I would do is I would strategically place all my clients right in front of that board. And so they could see like, oh, I'm working with a pro. Um, I always pictured my business as my business. And it's who me, myself, Steve Tampas was a brand, uh, just running all my deals through Galpin Ford. Because I always thought of a bigger picture of what a client base would look like. And that's something that Don Rohde had taught me. Like these clients are your clients no matter what you do in life. You will always be able to go back to them and use them and use them as a resource to build a business. And if you take great care of them and get them a great deal, then they would always come back to you knowing that your your intention and your honesty is good and you, you're easy to work with. So I built that from a, from even back then, not knowing I would get into an industry like like what I'm in now but I remember the girl saw it and she like, man, and I used to have this book. I would show, show off like all my family, my kids. And she's like, gosh, you're so young. You have this young, beautiful family at this time. Now I, I have three children. You know, I got Brianna Taylor and, and and little Steven and Steven was just born. Um, you know, he was probably, I don't know, maybe one, one years old, maybe two years old. And he was, you know, wanted to, you know, I, I'm already missing the, the other kids in sports and everything else. And, um,
0: well, yeah because you're working what kind of hours in the car business
1: well i had a pretty regimented schedule i would get in at seven o'clock i would walk a lot so i had a pretty structured schedule when i was running those numbers and then i would you know, usually take off like a thursday wednesday or thursday then come in on um saturday and sunday um and-
0: you were still working some weekends evenings holidays so you get to thinking about the mortgage industry and the ability to have a more set schedule, spend a little more time with kids, and then you decide to get into the mortgage industry, and that changes your life because once again you pivot. So, did you work directly for someone at that point, or how did you get in?
1: Well, no. <clears throat> well, what happened is, um, so as I as I meet this girl, she, you know, she 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 says. Um, are like you kind of work really hard for your job like because I'm yeah I remember like when we during that time it was it was summertime it was like a big weekend um like my tie's halfway off you know I'm totally sweating um we're I think that weekend I had an unbelievable weekend we, we we sold like eight or nine cars so she you know she, she I think mentally she put in her head like you know I, I'm gonna have this guy talk to my boss so she reaches out to me just says to me hey I'd, I'd love for you to meet my 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 district manager or manager or whatever it was. And and I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Kind of got me curious, right? So um, the biggest thing that got me curious is that when we looked at what her income was, it was much more than what she had stated to me. Uh-huh. And she just seemed so chill. Like she was in such a very mellow compared to, you know, I'm sitting there running around. Um, and, you know, I I I loved what I was doing at the time. Um, so I go in, meet, meet their manager, their manager, you know, he sits with me, asks me a little bit of describe kind of what I do, what, then he good, breaks down. He's like, how much do you roughly make? And I kind of gave him a number. And, um, he says, uh, he, he call he calls, like he dials this guy and he, um, he tells me, he's like, Hey, how much money did you make last month? Um, and the guy tells me like some crazy number. I think it was like, I don't know, like 38, $40,000. And I'm, I'm like, no way. And he's like, yeah. Wait, $38,000,
0: $40,000 a month? Oh, just for the month?
1: Yeah, okay. for the month. So I'm like, there's no way. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, he's not even my top guy. And I said, I want to see his pay stub. And he <laughs> calls the guy back and he says, hey, can you bring me in your pay stub? So I pull in, I bring in his pay stub. I'm looking at it and I'm looking at his year-to-date. I'm like, holy crap. You know, They're, they're, not, they're not lying to me. So he's like, you know, and he tells me, hey, Steve, I, I think you're really talented. I think with what you've learned, I think if you brought that into this kind of industry, you can do really well. So I get back to the dealership, sit with the, my manager. And at the time, we had two team managers and a regular sales manager. Totally talked me out of it. Tell me, you know, hey, don't, you know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. You know, you, you got so much opportunity here. You know, you're so young. You're, do, you're, you're already, you know, they all already know you upstairs. So, you're like next in line for management. And that was kind of always the goal, right? Like become a manager, um, do really well, build a built-in business, become a manager, you know, then maybe move up the ranks. What ends up happening is a couple of people that were in my industry at my store at our dealership ended up leaving, going into mortgages and did really well. Like, and these were guys that didn't do very well in the car business and they were kind of lazy. So, um, you know, I I, I seen like one or two guys, and they had come back. You know, like, this is probably like six months, and then that's when I finally made the jump. I made the jump, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna try this out. And um, I remember, you know, because they they beat me up on trying to leave, and I and I, it, I'm such a I feel like kind of a loyal guy, especially you know I loved right. Galpin, I loved every opportunity. They, I mean, I was a kid, you know, I started there at I think it was 22, 23 years old, and you know wide-eyed kind of bushy tail didn't really know too much had incredible mentors i was very lucky and for that window of time that i was there um i learned a ton you know i i I could never take for granted how much they taught me and um but i i did and i i remember leaving um and i finally made the decision because they said no take some time off we're not gonna let you quit yet you know and then they had me meet with the owner they had me meet with everyone like like twice and I finally, you know, just, I told him, I said, look, I can't do this no more. Like I don't want to go back and meet with Bert. I don't want to go back and meet with Tawny." I just said, "I'm, you know, you know, please hold me dear, near and dear to your heart. God forbid I fail in this thing. I'm coming right back. <laughs> and I remember, I remember um, I got a phone call from one of my managers and he says to me, he says, I know you'll be back. And that just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a fiery fuck. So it kind of <laughs> put that little fire to me. Like, you know what? All right, man, that ain't ever happening. Right. So, um, you know, we, and, and through that window, because we, 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 you know, in, in this, in, in, in any kind of industry you transition into, there's always going to be a change. You're always going to learn um, something that I, I remember someone told me is like, hey, you know, when you get this business, you have an unbelievable book of business. Don't do any of your loans for your friends or family. And this is going back to 2003. Mm-hmm. So obviously everyone finds out that I leave it kind of becomes a little bit of big news. Everyone. And I had, I had a really good, I would say I had, I had a really good, um, I had a good brand with all the dealerships that I, you know, everyone knew I would, I, I, I did good by people. I, I did well. And, and I was very fair. Um, so I got a lot of management and general managers loans. And
0: uh-huh. it just
1: like, it just, they just kept calling. They said, Hey, you know, just take care of me. And you sent me all their paper. It was, it was, it was wild. I think the first month I had like originally like over 30 loans. Wow. And um, so I'm at this new company It's this little company in in Glendale. And you know, this guy has like, I don't know, 30 something mortgage guys and I'm blowing everyone away. I'm not even there six weeks. And he's like having me talk to everyone, like telling them what I do. And I have no idea. He gave (laughs) me a sheet of form and he says, just get this filled out and you'll, you're good to go. So I'm getting these sheets filled out. He says his team's going to take care of everything. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I'm ha- I had like a 30-something deal pipeline, and he's like telling me how much money I'm going to make. And it was sums amount of money. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the greatest business in the world. So um, what happens is is um, market had shifted. And that's when rates were really low. Rates had gone all the way down to get this. Rates had gone down to like five and a quarter. And in wow. that, there's a window there that it went from five and a quarter to like five, seven, five. Uh-huh. And everyone kept calling me and like, Hey man, I just want to make sure I know you, I know you take care of me. I know we're good. We're good on rate, this and that. And, you know, I had just gotten the business. So I, I had no idea how all that work, that back office part worked because I was just, Hey, fill out this sheet. You know, these are open escrow, fill out this sheet, open escrow, get a commitment, get a check, get a commitment, get a check, get a credit card. We're good to go. Right. So that, I was, I was flying, you know, I, I was, I mean, and. Um, it was, it was a crazy window of time. So what ends up happening is nothing was locked. You know, they had taken the money and oh, I'm no. like, you know, we can't do that. I'm like, we can't do that. If we're not going to perform, we got to give the money back. And not only did the loans not get locked, he already took the money up front. Like there was a kind of like, I would say it's an origination fee, but it, you know, nowadays it's, it's different than how he called it. Like it was like a, it was like a process upfront processing fee, uh-huh. like 500 bucks. And he took it from everyone. So, any, so he takes it from everyone. I mean, I got everyone and their mother from like the two dealerships I've worked at. And I've got really, really important people. Um, I got really important people that I'm like, I can't bomb on this. Like, you don't understand. And he's like, dude, what do you want me to do? Like, we can't do anything about rates. So I'm like, why wouldn't you lock them? So I didn't yeah. understand all that part. Uh huh. So what ends up happening is, is and, and no joke, you want to talk about falling your face. I, I was so humbled, you know, cause here I was the guy that he's, I'm in front of every weekly meeting, sharing with everyone, my story and telling everyone how to get more and more business. Uh-huh. And I, and I, and it goes from like a 32 pipeline till I think we only had like three deals left
0: oh because we couldn't gosh. get them
1: closed. So in, you know, obviously I'm, I, I honestly thought I was going to have a heart attack. I think I was 26 years old and, and I didn't know, like I was, I couldn't think straight. It was, it was the craziest window of time. Again, you just, you know, you gotta figure it out a way. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna reach out to everyone I had um, that I, I knew that was in the business that I know. So I contacted a few of my friends that were in the business, kind of just kind of peeped them, like, hey, you know, kind of, how's everything going? This is what. Let me share with you a little bit what's happened and. Trying to understand how I could have done, how I could have not had this happen to me. So I ended up reaching out to one of my past clients. Didn't know him very well, but he bought a lot of cars from me. And so him, he he calls me. He says, "Hey man, let's have lunch." And so he's a one man shop, just him. He says, "Let me share with you something." He says, "I'll give you, you know, I'll give you what, you know, match what they're doing, if not a little bit better. Um, but you're gonna do everything, like from start to finish." You're going to slow down before you can speed up. Yep. And that right there changed my world. And again, I had met someone that was one of my past clients. But what's funny, though, is that, you know, I I mean, I, I had a huge database coming out of Galpin. And I always thought that I can, I, I had a very good following coming out of Galpin for, besides, like, my coworkers, besides, like, the management team that that knew me really well because they're now all pissed off at me it got back to ownership that something happened, you know, that didn't. I didn't see, I didn't come through. Kind of like, yeah. see, I told you you didn't come through. I'm getting the phone calls. Are you coming back? Kind of thing. Oh my um, God. That's awful. It, it, I, I also remember I got a call from one of the managers and, and, and it was after all this had happened and, and uh, he, he had said something in the, in the sense and, you know, and, and I, and I'm really big fans of the ownership there, but they had said something like, you know, what's the big deal about the guy leaving? And, you know, I told you he wasn't going to do well, you know, kind of thing. Right. And that was like kind of, and I was like, oh man, I got to get this figured out, you know? And, and so what I ended up doing is saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to work out of this little, we, we ended up renting an apartment and I was in a room in an apartment and I just basically learned the whole business from from start to finish. But what that did is, and so what that did is, is it allowed me to really learn, learn what the processes are from A to Z so that in the event that um, I ever built my book of business up again, I can always manage what I did because I knew where everything went. Um, what had happened is they had sent out like a, like you cannot reach out to not only the employees, but you cannot reach out to any of your past clients. Because so of the I non-compete. Got, of the non-compete and they said they said and then i remember i got that same phone call that was telling me about you know what's the big deal said hey the word is is don't let yourself become the example of what the non-compete means right so kind of basically kind of forewarning like hey don't so i i I started from scratch from bare bone scratch like literally um i spent my first like two or three months you know just at the time i was getting just leads from title and just calling these people and I would play this little game and I would just, you know, I had a prospect and think to myself, like, I would play, make up all these games, like how long I could keep someone on the phone. I have a little timer, um, you know, to see if I'm getting better at keeping people on the phone. <laughs> but that's what transitioned my business. Um, we grew from there. You know, I, I and I I came from a tirelessly working background. So the guy that I worked for, he, 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 he didn't work. He didn't like working hard. He liked making a little bit of money and decent money, but, you know, I I saw a huge opportunity. So, you know, he, he didn't want to work on weekends and he didn't, you know, we, we actually, at the time we did real estate and mortgages. So we did mortgages, but we also had a real estate license as well. Mm -hmm. And when I started going to just, you know, people, um, family, friends, and starting building up my, my, my book of business again, all my different pillars that I work off of. Man, I I went hard after all of it. Anything that had to do with re, with real estate, I w- I wanted to be a part of. So, I was learning real estate. I was learning mortgages. I was doing it all. So, and I saw the opportunity for money. You know, so I saw what kind of money you can make, and you know, I I saw how everything worked. And rates were still good. And you know, so this this gentleman, he 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 loved working nine to five, if 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 that. And I'm like, right. no man, I'm I'm coming from something, I'm working 60, 70 hours. I, you know, I, I'm young. I I want I want to work. So um, we had a difference of opinion as far as like, you know, how much time and effort. And I was telling him, um, you know, he 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 even asked me, he's like, Hey, what if I just like become your manager? And, you know, I'm like, the problem I have is is you don't want to put in the time and hours. Now I get it, you wanna be home. So I had to find something that would work for me. That I, because I still had a lot of questions, but needed, you know, because you, you need to have um, when you're doing so much at that window, you need still someone to bounce off. Like, hey, I just want to make sure this is, you know, like if I'm doing a real estate contract, I want to make sure this is done right. Like, I so I, I had to get into an organization that you know that I could be protected um yeah
0: of course and that's and what so i did that's what i did definitely I a lot me. of um, risk in that and you know Correct. one thing that interests me about what you're saying is the fact that you know if we go back to the beginning of our conversation where you were like i i really wasn't a student you know you 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 didn't enjoy going to school but you know what when there's something that you're passionate about it's amazing oh, how
1: incredible.
0: you just can soak it all up and you're such a sponge and you were. You did become a student. You became a student of business and business acumen of real estate, of uh, mortgage, of, you know, really the best way to, um, to build the business in the mortgage industry. You became yeah. a student and you became a master of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's obviously in this window of space right now, you, you, there's, there's so many different, you know, avenues of, of, of real estate and. And, and investing. And, you know, now that now being seasoned in it for as long as I have, I, I've just, um, I, it's just been my passion. You know, I, I, I love seeing people um, create long-term wealth for their family through real estate. Yeah. And in, as I've been in this, you know, and now I'm going almost on my, almost 20 year, my 20th year. Um, I, I can say I, I, I've seen so many people when they hit that time, when they finally say, "Hey, man, I'm done," and they're sitting on real estate, they're sitting on asset, they're sitting on rental income, and not to say there's not a stress in the world, but their life seems so much more peaceful than, you know, the average person. And it's just a few different things they have to do from the beginning, right? Absolutely. Like, and and it's just a few partner plannings, or sh- what I call, sh- you know, discovery calls or or, or strategy strategy sessions.
0: Mm-hmm. that
1: if it's done early enough and it's done right, I mean, you can build a nice portfolio. And that's what my team and I work on um, till this day. It's kind of what so we built. Our when did on. you,
0: you eventually <clears throat> transitioned. I remember you had opened up your high performance lending. Mm-hmm. Um, you went off on your own. You must mm-hmm. have felt comfortable enough and had enough mm-hmm. success to do so. What year mm-hmm. was that in? That was
1: 2005
0: okay and then i 2005 till
1: two i was there for for we were there for um we did that all the way through 2008 so when we we opened that we opened that um you know we opened a broker shop says was what we did and i said you know i'm going to open a broker shop i mean at the time the business was absolutely crazy market was crazy there was a lot of crazy things going on in this the industry had gotten even more open than where it was at when i first started Um, crazy loans, crazy kind of products. And the crazy thing is that these companies were coming out to us. They're sending us trainings on how to sell their product and why their product was was so good. Now, the product was, you know, obviously when you think hindsight of that product back then and, you know, you're going into this industry, you're sharing knowledge, you're sharing, you know, a lot of the product was good if you used it the right way. The problem is, is that like anything else is, as people started getting more and more equity and pulling cash out, buying multiple properties, not being able to rent them out. Now, the one, the one thing is, is that, you know, as like anything else, as all these these homes now, you know, the, the, the broker business world at that window, it changed dramatically. And I, you know, we've had a good change this last quarter um, because of where rates had gone recently but that change was way different. No one was lending, so imagine all of a sudden all these banks that you had access to all froze up and closed.
0: Yes, well, yeah. Then so now we had all the mortgage their... meltdown happened, and that started in what two thousand seven.
1: Two thousand seven, going into yeah. two thousand eight. Yeah,
0: that was a very yeah. tough time.
1: I I, I remember when you got your
0: keys originally to um, high performance lending, mm-hmm. and I come out, you're super duper proud. And I, of course I'm coming we kept out. growing. I was yeah. trying to sell you staffing, of course, <laughs> Yeah. but right. you know, that was a very proud moment for you and you know, you're flying high and then, you know, it all comes almost to screeching halt basically because you know, we have this massive mortgage meltdown.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, absolutely. You, you had this where your business was up and thriving and you, you have a, a good size, you know, you have, I think we had maybe, I don't know, eight loan officers there. They're all making very good money. And, you know, you start seeing them dwindle, but you're kind of stuck in your own space. You, you have a little bit of a, you, you have a processing team there. Um, the, the business back then was way different um, compliance wise, as well as how you would run a broker shop was was way different than how it is ran now. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, we were flying high, man. It was, it was crazy. We kept growing, we kept growing, volume kept growing, we kept growing. And then all of a sudden, and we were, we were selling all the right product, you know, had we all of a sudden when market shifted, that was the big change because when all, when you, when, and I think this kind of goes to show what everything happened back then is now you have, let's say you have real estate and people aren't making payments. So you can't afford the rental, you know, unlike what we just had, what had happened recently with COVID where if. People, your renters weren't making payment. They came in and they assisted or you can forbear um, a payment, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't allow that. So once that started happening and all these foreclosures started hitting market, I mean, foreclosure, you know, back then the foreclosure rate was like at 38%. I don't, I don't, I think, I don't think that really resonates and people think like, hey, this is a similar market. No, it's not. R- today we're less than 1% of filed NODs in LA county less than 1% we were at 38% back then so there's just way too much equity what they did with the forbearance as much as it sucks to say this but if they had done something in that sense instead of waiting to modify all these loans 12 18 24 months later it would have saved a lot of market you know right. for the people the, but I will say this like anything else you know if you look at real estate over time over the last 80 years real estate has averaged anywhere between 3 to 4% year over year consistently and even during that window of time when people said when when all those prices were high and i remember going being in the business in 8 and 9 and 2010 12 and people were saying oh my gosh like oh my god you bought you guys bought that house so high that so high i mean we've surpassed those numbers it's right. crazy. We've been on a crazy run since 2012. So, yes, it was a very, very difficult time. I mean, we we just about lost almost everything. You know, we all the toys and all the little things that we had, we had to get rid of and get rid of fast. Um, yeah, I mean that was a we very, went down the drain. Yeah,
0: very volatile market. A lot of people mm-hmm. lost a lot, their jobs, their homes. Um, like you said, just some of the stuff you had acquired over the time, and then on top of that, you were also going through your own personal things because that's also during the time frame that your father passed away,
1: right? Yeah. It, sometimes it, it 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 seems like uh, when it when it comes down, man, you you, you gotta you really deal with it, right? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. My my we I remember we had uh because at the time we had we. Had, I had like a, I had season tickets with the Clippers and I had half a season tickets with the Lakers and we had opening night Laker game and uh, my, my mom and my sister had called me and said, I, I, dad had a stroke. You know, my dad was pretty active too. You know, he, he liked the sweets, but he stayed very active, still played basketball. He was, I think he was, uh, my dad had passed, I think he was 67 years old and very
0: he was young. still playing
1: basketball. He, he would golf like almost every day and, um, so we were like, oh, okay. But my mom said, no, it's not that bad. You know, I said, okay, well, I'll come by the house tonight. Is he okay? Yeah. And got on the phone with my dad. I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, hey, guy, it's uh, oh, this stupid thing, man. You know, I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, um, you know, we all meet over there in the afternoon to go see my dad. And from the time that we got that call to the time we got over there, He had another major stroke.
0: Oh and
1: then uh, from that time till like the next week, he had two more major strokes. So the consensus was was he too old to for them to go in and release pressure in the brain? There was a lot of stuff going on. And I just remember my you know, my dad was um yeah as my freaking biggest fan, man. Like um he was, that was a really crazy hard time. Just even me now diving into thinking about that. You think? I think he kind of put that stuff away, but yeah. um, no, he'd, he'd, he'd be, uh, he'd love to see these two little ones right now.
0: Oh, well, I'm uh, sure he, he is seeing them, Steve. He is seeing oh, them. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. And, you know, I know it's really hard because it's like, you know, you we're in this massive recession. You're trying to run a business or about to close the doors there and move on to another chapter of your life you're saying goodbye to your dad who's essentially really given you such a sound advice and been a great father and you know just a hero to you Um, now you got to move past that how do you keep your head in the game because I don't know some people have hard time you know just getting up and showing up ready for showtime but but you do and what's
1: your secret sauce pivot man turn that cheek, pivot, and you go for it. I'll, I'll tell you, the doors had already been closed. The items have already been sold. Like w- w- everything was, we literally can't, when w- there was no lending, every, all the lending that was being done was all gubby, was all government. And back then it was very difficult to get a gov- gov- to do government transactions if you had never done government before. So I went to who I had wh- known was the biggest, you know, the biggest um, loan officer in, in Santa Cruz Valley. I, I went to, I came here to Augusta and that was September of, or August of 08. I've been here at, since August of 08. And I said, I'm going to, if I'm going to really do this, I, I better learn from the best man. That's right. So I came here, they showed me a look, they showed me some things and, and it was in that little window of time that, you know, learn, relearning and, and, and reprocessing and, and rebuilding everything that you had just done you know, you, you have this, you know, five year run that it was unbelievable. I I don't know if there'll ever be, it's like, I think back and we just came out of a crazy window and the numbers that we did over the last two years are, are bigger than I've ever done in this business. And, um, you know, I, 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 I have incredible support here at the office with my team and the company. And, um, I got great relationships who I work with now, but the, the 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 money that was made way back and when, and the way that stuff was being done and the simplicity, the, the ease of it was so different than like any other run I've ever seen in like almost 20 years into this. So everything changed and, and for the better, right? Like the business became clear and whole wholesome again and people had to qualify the right way. And, but it was a very negative market, obviously values had come down dramatically. Um, and I was still pressing the same thing, like, hey, it's an unbelievable window. Um, there's a lot of opportunity, you know, and, uh, you know, and and you, you have to shift. You, you, no, no matter what happens in your life, and, and it's never going to go exactly how you plan. You know, things are going to happen. And you're going to take shots on the chin, man. Yeah, but you got to keep moving forward. And you got to show up and, and no matter, look, like, that's how life is.
0: Right. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like,
1: you know, I was, I was taught at a young age, like no matter what goes on, like I played sports. I mean, you know, I gave a little bit of my background. I was, everything I do, I compare it to a sport. You know, when you get inside that little circle, it's like a basketball game. It's like a bo- boxing match. It's like a fight. When you get in that little octagon and you get in that, 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 that basketball court and you get in those in between those lines, man, it, that's it. You show up. You know, it's game time, nothing else. Whether you're hurt, it doesn't matter. Whatever's going on, you, what, whatever's going on outside, you just can't, it doesn't matter. You gotta yeah. focus. Absolutely. You gotta focus I mean, that, at the task at hand.
0: You've, you know, over the years, you've also suffered and endured your own fair share of losses. And most recently, years, your mom, I know your mother in law, so sorry for those losses as well. They're painful things to think about but you do an amazing job of keeping your head in the game and finding the energy to show up. And it really is so influential to people who just, they don't know how to keep moving forward. And it really is that, you know, that, that's your secret sauce right there. And the fact that you, um, you've built these relationships and you show up and you know, you, you dust yourself off, you get up. It's not that you haven't had disappointments you've had, plenty of them and it's not that you're, you know, I think some people think Steve Tampas, you know, he's just on top of the world all the time. You know, that's what you show them. They don't know all the mountains you've climbed along the way and that's what's most impressive to me.
1: All right, well, thank you for that. I mean, that. I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not sure how, it, how it's shown. You know, I, I, I feel like sometimes, uh, you know, emotion is, it can, it can wear either way. Good or bad, you know. I think mm-hmm. you need always spend a little time on your own. You know, whether that's the morning drive into work or the morning, like for me, it's the morning drive into the gym. Get your mind right on what you want to accomplish for that day. Get your mind right. What makes you happy? What makes you grateful? You know, uh, I think, and I, I read this all the time. You know, if 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 you get a chance to wake up, man, you, you have another opportunity. No that's matter right. what it is. I'm one of these guys that I always feel like I can get keep getting better keep learning more whether it's about family friends I'm, I'm always trying to be um, you know the best version of, that I can each and every single day um, I, 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 I wouldn't say that there's you know it's not about I, I, I love that it's a lot more peaceful than it was during the journey than where it's at now yeah um, I have a really nice good built-in business I got an incredible supportive family on all sides yeah, yeah we did just Um, we just went through a a, a very terrible loss. My mother-in-law, um, just a few months ago and, you know, it was like my wife's best friend. So for, uh, you know, for our family, it's, it's, it's been very difficult, very difficult for my wife's family, very difficult for me. I, I saw my mother-in-law every single day. It's not to say, you know, um, every single day she was there every single day. She was helping out with the kids. She was there. We'd have dinner, you know, um, it's a little different than like with my mother. My mother, I, I, I saw my mother maybe once once a week, every other week, or talk to her every other day or every few days. With my mother-in-law, she was there every single day, you know, and um, especially with the little ones, she wanted to be around a lot. And uh, yeah, so look, we lose my mother-in-law in August. Uh, market shifts, rates are almost at almost 8%, 8%. Values are higher than ever. Average price home in San, in San Fernando Valley. It's like 747 or 774 average price home rates are people are talking. Rates are going to be at 10%. Like, holy crap, what's going on about everyone's talking about the market's going to go down 50% stock markets down. Crypto's almost gone. Like, so, so there's a lot of challenging things that people are sucking their heads and you know, and I'm, and I'm talking to agents. I'm talking to financial and financial planners. I'm talking to um, investors every single day. I'm talking to agents every Monday, every Tuesday, just about, for one, where's our headspace? What -hmm. are we going to do differently? Where do we see things going? Let's stop looking at short-term. Let's start looking at long-term. How are we going to battle back and still? Because at the end of the day, most of these agents that I work with are very top-tier agents. Best of the best, man. So they got a family to support. They got mouths to feed. They got other agents that they have to keep inspired and give value to, so they continue to do business. Some of these agents that haven't been in the business longer than five years, they don't know what a, win- a window of time looks like that we're going through. Right. And for, Long-
0: our, for our listeners who find themselves in this funky market right now, I mean, you and I have been through a lot of different types of markets, but mm-hmm. here we are, as you're saying, inflation's at a historic all-time high. Some families are struggling to meet their basic needs. You have people grinding it out in the mortgage industry, real estate, various different industries. From a sales perspective, what advice can you give a family going through such a volatile market, and how to keep that positive mindset ready for showtime? How do they know when to pivot?
1: Well, become really good at what you do. Go back to basics. Like I, 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 I I'm going to say this, and I think I know a lot of people aren't pressing on this because obviously the media loves selling fear. But I'm going to tell you. Right now, this this little window of time within the next 60 days might be the greatest window of time that you have to buy real estate again. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I can say that is because I know where rates are coming or where rates are going. You know, the market's going into a transition, and because inventory is so low, and they're not producing enough housing, I feel value is going to do very well. So I, you know, for for me, it's making sure your headspace is very good, being prepared for the opportunities that are coming forward, and keeping your eyes open. I know in this kind of business that we're in, especially in real estate, and I look at real estate as investments. I have a lot of investments, a lot of different areas, and I have a lot of investments into real estate. So I always try to share just little things about my story, because I want people to say, you're in real estate as a profession. Yes. Make sure you 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 maximize all the opportunities that are involved in real estate. There are so many opportunities that I feel like sometimes people miss because they're too concentrated on making a transaction or a single transaction. They're missing the big picture of right. building a portfolio. That's right. And that's what I I feel like. Uh, you know, in in any kind of sales, you're going to have opportunities. Look, in my office, I have this big quote: "Success." is when preparation meets opportunity. And there's so many opportunities every single day that you meet. And I read that day and day and I, I I tell that to my kids. I tell that to my friends and family. I tell that to the agents I work with because I want them to know that from the, from the cashier that you meet at the gas station or at the grocery store, that's an opportunity. There's that's always right. gonna be opportunities. Are you gonna be prepared for that opportunity?
0: That's great. Thank you for sharing that. You know, this show is called One Foot in Front of the Other to Life, and if you've listened to my first episode, you know that that's a saying that came from my dad. And of course, he passed when I was seven, so I didn't know it. It was a saying that my mom moved on to me or passed on to me. And you know, it's one of my favorite things about you is that you have relentless perseverance, work ethic, and drive. And through all things in my life, my dad is always you know in the back of my mind and in my heart with that saying one foot in front of the other no matter what it is what kind of day what i'm going through how am i going to get there one foot in front of the other um so i'm glad i was just going to ask you that if there was a saying you would like to leave the behind for your kids what would it be but it sounds like you're answering that question already that it is when um <laughs> luck is when preparation meets opportunity <clears throat>
1: They say, but I say success. So I have a big one. And I, I'm going to tell you, as much as I hear you say that and reiterate that, I look at that from you. You have continued to grow over the years. And I think it's amazing. So I, I want to give super kudos to you, even for doing this. But I, I will say this. We all have down moments and we all have moments of doubt. We do. There's always times that you think like, gosh, I, I could have done that better. I could have done better. But at, at the end of the day, I say this strongly and I say this willingly faith over fear, have faith that the hard work and all the things that you're doing to prepare will lead you past that fear and keep going forward one foot in front of the other.
0: Awesome. I love it. Thank you for those final words of wisdom, Steve. We're very, very blessed and lucky to have you on the show
1: today. And uh, the opportunity, I appreciate the time. And again, I'm, 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 I'm grateful for the opportunity to share. Uh, you know, I think my my my, my story is is uh, is like probably many that go through the process, and it's just keep the two feet down, man, and keep going. That's right. That's right.
0: Awesome, Steve. Well, I will call this a wrap, and we'll talk real soon. Um, I'll catch up with you a little bit later.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. Cool. Bye.
0: Well, what a story, that Steve Tampas story? I'm actually kind of hoping I might be able to write the Steve Tampas story myself one day in a book. But, you know, I'm just so thankful that we had the opportunity to feature his story on the show. I know it's a little lengthy, but you know what? You're going to take away so many nuggets and little pieces of information that will really help you along your way. His story is just one that really, truly shows what the American dream is all about. His parents passed to him the american dream and he achieved it and it's he's living proof that you can as long as you're willing to show up with showtime mentality as long as you're willing to give it all you've got and you're willing to push through with perseverance you can change paths you can reinvent yourself anytime i'm so incredibly inspired by his story thank you so much for joining us today On this episode of Pivot, it's Showtime. I'm your host, Lisette Haber, signing off on episode number four.